they have just watched someone die. It's a solemn moment. Up until that point, there was chaos. There were people hurling insults, people cussing, and even an earthquake. He had hung on the cross for six hours in excruciating pain. And then there was silence. If you ever witnessed the death of somebody, you know the solemnness of that time. There's an awkward silence, whether it's for a friend or enemy or family. And in that quietness, there was one voice that spoke out and said, surely this man was the son of God. We in Mark chapter 15, we come in, we are now at the end of Jesus' life. We have spent, we have spent over a year going through this book and this is what it's all about. The day had been long. It had started in Gethsemane, where Jesus was arrested and then taken and shuffled from one government official to the other, all trying to make a decision as to what to do with this man. Eventually, Pilate succumbed to the religious leaders of the day and allowed Jesus to die. In some ways, Pilate had no choice. Not only from the occasion, but a choice as far as who Jesus was. Jesus was a unique individual. He was born so that he can die. Each one of us are born so that we can live. And ultimately, we want to live. Jesus was born so that he can die. All his life, he lived with, that, with knowing that he would die an excruciating death for each one of us. They released Barabbas. 
and Barabbas' cross was assigned to Jesus. Barabbas' name is actually quite an interesting name. I'm, if I wasn't here last week, so if, if I repeat some of the stuff that was said last week, but I apologize, but I think it's worthwhile repeating. Barabbas is actually, the name alone is quite interesting. And in fact, in some early manuscripts, his, his full name was actually Jesus Barabbas, or Barabbas. And they say that a lot of the writers of the scriptures did not want to confuse Barabbas with Jesus, and so they did not include his first name, Jesus Barabbas. Now, Barabbas is actually, in the Hebrew, is two words. There's Bar, B-A-R, and Abba, Abbas, Bar, Abbas, which was very common in the Jewish or Hebrew tradition because people, especially boys, were known by who their father was. Their father was more important than them. So, the, you know, I, I would have been called uh, Glenn Bar George, you know, um, Andrew Bar Mark, you know. And so, Barabbas' name literally translate, translated would be the father of the son. And this was Jesus Barabbas. Jesus, the father, I mean the son of the father, not, sorry, other way around. Jesus, the son of the father. And I, f I find it, I don't think Barabbas, this is coincidental. I think there's a, there's a true meaning behind what this is all about. The cross that Barabbas was condemned to die on, Jesus was to die on that same cross. The son of the earthly father was to live because the son of the heavenly father died. Amen. Profound thought. And so they took Jesus up to Golgotha, the place of the skull, Calvary. And it's somewhat rem reminiscent of Adam and Eve being taken out of the Garden of Eden. Golgotha was outside of the city walls. He was not to die within that city. Adam and Eve were removed from that city, from that, that city on this earth, the Garden of Eden, when they sinned. When Christ took on the sins of this earth, he was taken out of the city of Jerusalem to die on Golgotha. And according to, to, to some traditions, um, Adam was buried on that, same, on that same hill. And we know it's the same hill that Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac. And it was on that hill that Jesus died so that that first sacrifice did not have to take place. And that first man could be resurrected from the place where he died. He was flogged twice, beaten twice. 
Um, I, I, I struggle with this because I don't want to be gruesome about what happened. But it was gruesome. It was, it was beyond horrible of the beating that occurred. The Romans were experts at flogging people. And the intent of flogging was to actually get that person, flog them until they were unconscious, but not to die. The idea was for them to survive that flogging. And they were flogged with this, with this uh, whip that had metal pieces and bones tied into it. So when you whip the person, it actually ripped out flesh. Sorry for being too graphic, but I need to, I need to explain this as we go into the story. And the whipping did not only take place on the back. It was from head to foot, head to foot. Everything was ripped. And eventually the whole back was raw, and, and the whip was extremely heavy as well, so it was intended to create internal injuries as well. And so if it was the normal way of whipping, of the, the, the Roman way of doing it, Jesus probably was whipped until he was unconscious, twice. And then they gave him a cross to carry. Now, once again, the, the Romans had perfected this, this type of death. And it's, and it's not the way we often think about how crucifixions occurred. In fact, the, cross, the crosses that the Romans built were often weighed about 300 pounds. So they were not light, and one person carrying a, a cross especially up the hill, was, was impossible. And really what happened in those days, the traditional way of crucifixion occurred was that there's usually one person assigned to sort of um, take control of, of the execution. And one of the things that he used to do was take a rope and tie it around his waist and then tie it to the prisoner's waist. And so this person that was assigned to Jesus was probably had a rope from his waist to Jesus' waist. The two parts of the cross were not assembled down on, in the valley or where they were made. They were actually carried separately. Usually three soldiers were assigned to carry the, the vertical bar, and the prisoner was assigned to carry the horizontal bar. And that horizontal bar usually weighed about 50 pounds, and that prisoner had to carry that weight. And so if it was, once again, if it was the Roman way, Jesus was to carry that 50-pound bar, that horizontal bar, up that hill. But how does a person who has beaten, been beaten the way he was beaten, how does, how does he carry that? He couldn't. He stumbled and fell. And one man was taken out of the crowd and told to carry it for Jesus. Jesus. 
We don't know much about him other than his name and where he came from. Simon of Cyrene, which is in modern-day Libya, between Tobruk and, and uh, wherever the other place was. <laughs> Can't remember it. But North Africa. Some scholars think that he was Jewish, but we don't know because there was a, a large Jewish community there. He most likely was local. Some, people, some scholars think he was African, but he probably wasn't African. But who knows? I think, it was, I think the writings of the scripture are very intentional in keeping some things vague. Because maybe some of these things apply to us as well. Maybe each one of us could be Simon as well. Maybe we could take up that cross daily and follow Jesus. They took him to the hill. And here's something else that was unusual about this situation. Usually there were a few soldiers that were assigned to execute the, the, the crucifixion. We know that there was a whole... There were at least 100 soldiers that, that took part in Jesus' execution because he was a centurion there. And the centurion was a captain of or an officer over 100 soldiers. And the thinking is, and it's, and it's pretty well documented in, in ancient uh, literature, that these 100 soldiers were assigned to make sure that they would not be to keep the peace. Because there was so much rioting, there was so much chaos that was happening, they were afraid that someone would capture Jesus and escape and take him or that he would even be killed before he got to the cross because there was so much hatred and bitterness towards him. And so we had the centurion and his men follow this cross up the hill. They buried that vertical bar, and then they would nail the prisoner to the, to the horizontal bar. And then soldiers used to take that whole bar, crossbar, with their prisoner on it and hoist it up and put it in the groove that was made for it. And then they would take another spike and spike it between the crotch. And the whole weight of the body was taken on the hands and the crotch. And then they would nail the feet into the cross. They weren't nailed high off the ground. Their feet were no more than a foot or two feet off the ground, so they were pretty close. So when people looked at Jesus, they weren't looking up. They were almost looking eye to eye with him as he was hanging on that cross. We know that he was crucified at about nine o'clock in the morning. At noon, the whole earth or that area became dark. The whole time that Jesus was hanging on that cross, there were religious leaders, there were people hurling insults at him, saying horrible things to him the whole time that he was suffering on that cross. 
And in that darkness, there, there was some quietness that occurred because they couldn't see. We know that Mary came to that cross, his mother. We know that at three o'clock, there was this tremendous earthquake. And Christ cried out as feebly as possible, probably not very loud because he did not have much energy left. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God was quiet. There was no response. And he hung his head and died. There were several witnesses to this death that had come specifically to watch this execution. Some maybe not. The first one is Simon. We know that Simon of Serene was there. Carry cross up that <clears throat> carry that cross. And in, in fact, I'm sure that the effect of that had an absolute change in effect on his life. What a privilege to carry that cross. And then there were they, the proverbial they, the deep state, those people who wanted Jesus to die, those people who escorted him up that hill, those people who pleaded to the judges and the attorneys and the governors of the day to say he needs to die because he insulted us. Those people who were hypocritical. We even said that the accusation towards Jesus was that he was the king of the Jews, which was a blasphemy in their, in their eyes. And yet they said to Pilate, he said, we, would rather, we worship Caesar, not We, we, we honor Caesar, not worship him. We honor Caesar, Caesar. And this is the accusation they made against Jesus. The hypocrisy of that is just so overwhelming. These are the people that crucified him and were pleased that he eventually got rid of this man. And then there were the three Marys. Mary Magdala of Magdalene. Her story is just, just an amazing story. This woman who was probably a prostitute. This woman who gave her body to other men. Who was disrespected by men. And one person came by and was respectful to her. 
And she never, ever forgot that. And then there was Mary, his mother. The Bible, Mark says that Mary, the, uh, the mother of, of James the Less, who, so it's not James, the, well, Jesus had two disciples, James, and one was his brother, and that's, that's his brother. And then there was Mary Salome. We don't know much about her. Once again, she's one of two people, but it's most likely that she's the, the wife of Zebedee, who was the father of uh, uh, James and, is it Andrew? Who? James and John. So, sorry. <laughs> James and John. Some people think that you, it might, she might have been the Salome of, uh, who was Herod's daughter, or Herodias' daughter, who danced before Herod, who then said, I will give you anything you want, and she asked for the head of John the Baptist. But it's unlikely it's that one, and it's most likely the, the wife of Zebedee. All of these women were absolutely loyal to Jesus. They all loved him, and they were deeply saddened by what had just occurred. And the Bible tells us that there were many other women from Jerusalem that attended that as well. And I find that fascinating. Why women? Why many women? In our culture, we don't understand that, but in their culture, it made a lot of sense because women were property. Men absolutely disrespected women and didn't care about them. Jesus was different. Jesus cared about them. And he showed love and compassion towards women. And they came to be close to him as he died. And then there was one other witness. And the Bible said he stood before the cross and looked at Jesus. We don't know his name. We just know that he was the centurion. There's a few things that we can deduce. He was probably very contemplative because the Bible said he just stood and watched Jesus. He was a career soldier, most likely a Roman, because Romans did take soldiers from other lands that they captured, but most times the officers were, were Romans. He had probably been in Rome and probably seen the might of the Roman Empire, seen the place where Caesar had lived, seen the majesty and glory of Rome. And yet, when he saw this dying man on the cross, he said, surely this man is the Son of God. Caesar 
was considered to be a son of a god. Especially later in the, the, the history of Rome. And so in some ways he was almost worshipped like a god and had a godlike appearance. And it was assured that he would appear that way. So majesty and the way he dressed. And yet this man hung on the cross without a stitch of clothing on his body. Blood falling off his body, flowing off his body. Beaten and bruised and black and horrible. And he said, surely this man is the son of God. He had seen power. He'd seen majesty. He'd probably known Jesus for less than 24 hours. And if you're going to take what the scriptures said, especially the book of Mark, you probably only heard Jesus speak seven times. Probably never saw Jesus perform a miracle. He was not there on the mount when Jesus preached that sermon on the mount. He didn't see him raise Lazarus. He didn't see him change water into wine. He didn't see him forgive Mary and treat her tenderly. But he saw Jesus the way he treated the woman. He saw Jesus the way he treated his mother. And he saw Jesus and the dignity that he died in. And in less than 24 hours, he saw the true Jesus. The Jesus full of passion, even in his own agony. The Jesus full of grace, even when he forgave those people who hated him bitterly. And he said, surely this man is the son of God. It's the first time in the book of Mark that we see that recognition. We had to go through all of the book of Mark and then we take a heathen who had known Jesus for less than 24 hours to recognize who he was. Surely this man is the Son of God. So my question for you is, what about you? What about you? Do you recognize Jesus as the Son of God? And the influence that he can have on your life? 
Sometimes we, we live our religious lives and we perform rituals and we don't often think about the meaning of those things. Jesus was the Son of God and He wants you and He wants to be your Lord and Savior. Galatians 2 verses 21. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness can be gained through the law, Jesus died for nothing. Are you going to allow Jesus to die for nothing in your life? Or are you going to accept that grace? Father, <clears throat> We know that you don't want us to concentrate on the gruesomeness of your death. But simply to know that you died a cruel death so that we can be saved. We accept that sacrifice and we love you for it take our lives and let us live the life that is a fulfillment of your death I pray in your loving name